is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Matt Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Hi, this is Ben Cerruti, and I'm back with another episode of Conversations with Cerruti. Thank you for joining me again today. Uh, with me this time, I've got KMOV reporter Brendan Schaefer. Uh, Brendan, thanks for coming on. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, can you tell the uh, audience where we can find you most often? Absolutely. I'm pretty prominent on Twitter in that I always have it on my phone and I'm pulling it up multiple times a day. So you can find me there at B Schaefer 12. And then everything I write for the most part is going to be at KMOV.com slash sports. And, uh, my, my, my own podcast that I'm hoping to get going on a more regular basis this season. You've seen me probably tweet out the links. If you follow me there already is B Schaefer daily where I'm doing, try to do like five episodes a week, just talking mostly Cardinals baseball when there's news and, and stuff to talk about. Those were always fun last year in spring training. I'm glad you're getting that going back up again recently. Um, so everybody, check those out. But before you do, let's uh, listen to Brendan and I talk some baseball today and some Cardinals baseball. Uh, Brendan, so let's talk about your background. You grew up in the St. Louis area like I did. I know you went to Mizzou. Uh, I did not, but a uh, big Mizzou fan as I'm from the state. Uh, I'm on the Kansas City side now, so I get to see their, uh, the Jayhawk rivalry a little bit more than the Illini right oh I hate I hate base. that word that's gross uh I don't know if I like either of those words um, <laughs> um so KMOV is this your first beat or have you uh done sports uh before elsewhere I know like Gould started with the Blues at the post before moving to the Cardinals so uh tell us your background with reporting so the first professional locker room I was ever inside of was actually the Blues as well and it was for a small radio station in Washington, Missouri. At the time, it was the call letters were KRAP, crap. They called it sports crap. And I, I, I had a, a relationship with the guy who ran it to where I was looking for an internship, basically, when I was coming upon closing in on graduation at Mizzou. And basically, I asked him if he had anything. He said, well, not really as far as a official capacity. But if you'd like, I have the sports website associated with the station and if you're wanting to become a writer, you could go to the Blues games. Uh, we're a Blues affiliate in Washington, Missouri. So get a press credential for you and you can write stories for the website. And I was, you know, I had done some some high school reporting for the uh, Columbia Daily Tribune there in Columbia while at school. And so I had some sports reporting experience, but nothing on that scale. And I, w I jumped at the chance, even though hockey wasn't the sport that I knew quite as well. That's always been baseball. But I, I thought it would just be such a great learning experience, and it absolutely was. Through that, being in the press box and meeting people, I was able to get a, a role at 590 The Fan where I was a board operator and 
helped on the air and things like that. And then I started covering the Cardinals uh, for their website after begging and pleading for them to let me use one of their station press credentials in 2016. And by the end of that season, I managed to get into the KMOV role. It just kind of sort of opened up where I was ready to to jump into something and they were ready to have somebody jump in. And so I, I, I did some blues. I've done blue stuff for them as well, but mostly covering the Cardinals. And I've been with them since 20, 2016, really October, I believe it was. All right. And that was actually going to be my next question. Cause I looked to make sure before airing this podcast that I, I thought I'd seen more than just Cardinals from you there. So I wasn't going to, wasn't sure. Are you technically the Cardinals beat reporter there, or do you just kind of cover all sports as it comes? In? I, I basically tell people I'm the Cardinals writer because I'm the, the main guy for them that is covering the Cardinals lately. We've also got JJ Bailey, who was kind of the main, yes. main man on the beat when uh, I first came in and he was a great help to me. Uh, but since we've sort of transitioned where they've got JJ doing some other things at the station. And so I'm primarily on the sports stuff. And when news breaks from other sports uh, as well, I, I try to pitch in for that as well. But the Cardinals is, you know, in St. Louis, people love their blues. Uh, but but Cardinals certainly has the most uh, large fan base in the area when it comes to sports. So I'm on top of that for them. And I I've loved every minute of it. All right, and then last question about the background before we get into more uh, more baseball talk is uh, is KMOV the goal? I know you've got a little a little one, two years old, I believe you said. Um, well, not my you, kid. That was my nephew. I was talking okay, about. Sorry, your nephew's <laughs> coming. Okay, my fault. Sorry. No problem. Um, I I hope I get good enough at editing that I can edit that out. Um, so, is KMOV the goal? Or is it more like Post-Dispatch or ESPN or Fox Sports? Are you wanting to stay a St. Louis-type reporter only? Or uh, maybe the athletic hint, hint, um, if anybody from the athletic is listening and knows of your uh, St. Louis Cardinals opening, maybe they can get you in there. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on dream job type thing? You know, I, I think the dream and the ultimate goal would be to remain in St. Louis because that's kind of – what I grew up around, it's what I know. And that's not to say that I couldn't go if a, if a position opened somewhere where I could, you know, be a full-time beat writer or a columnist or something for a large publication. It's not to say I couldn't pursue that, but it, it's just kind of the deal where family's here and we're probably going to stick around here in St. Louis. And so what I've been trying to do over these years is uh, cement myself as somebody that when people read me, when they listen to me, they grow to think of me as someone that, hey, I like what that guy has to say about the Cardinals. I'm going to keep reading him or I'm going to keep listening to him. And maybe you don't like me, but you listen anyway. That would be just fine. <laughs> but become, I don't know if authority is the right word, but become somebody that over time people learn to know, yeah, he's he's knowledgeable. He knows what he's talking about. He, he follows it. He works it. And when it comes to Cardinals content, I want to be able to have him be somebody that that I look to, uh, regardless of where I might be uh, as far as uh, publication or whether it's, you know, my own podcast that they like, or it's KMOV, just whatever I can do to build myself as, as an authority, as somebody who knows St. Louis sports and, and hopefully be able to, to make a career out of that, uh, as I continue to, to grow in the field. Perfect. Somebody to know and trust. I like it. All right. Um, so, Sticking along those lines, how, how long did it take for you to feel comfortable going into locker rooms, going into offices of coaches or front offices? Um, 
let's start with uh, asking questions with other journalists around. How, how comfortable was was that in the in that setting? Oh, not at all. It it definitely it definitely took some time, and it's it's even more troubling right now because we're all on Zoom, and so you feel like you're going to get talked over, and then it's really awkward. So that's definitely something I'm still struggling with when it comes to Zoom. But uh, in person, it it took a little while to kind of be able to to find your feel of how to mix into a scrum and and you know, knowing other people are around and, oh my gosh, is there going to be a television camera? Because I was like 20 years old when I started doing this. I was very green. And so it, it certainly was a, a bit of a learning curve, but, uh, you know, you get to know the people that you're asking the questions to, you get to know the people that are doing the job alongside you. And, and as time goes on, it, it gets easier. Was it more nerve wracking in front of the other journalists who you respected and wanted to make sure to to kind of cement your place among or players who maybe at 20 years old you were looking up to as idols and icons or coaches who uh, I know it wasn't TLR at the time, uh, Tony LaRusso at the time, but but um, Mike Matheny was not necessarily known for being very candid or uh, was not necessarily known for being very open with reporters, or is it like front office members that that gave you the gave you the most internal grief or strife about going into asking questions with? Well, I think as you as you cover the team, whether it was Mike Matheny or now Mike Schilt, the manager is a guy you see on the job almost every day and talk to, and so I think over time that gets easier more quickly. And and Moselock, Mike Gersh, you know, you see those guys and have availability with those guys frequently as well. For me at first, I think it was just getting a feel for the players because sometimes if it's after a game, whether it's a win or a loss, you, you want to kind of, and especially when it's like a one-on-one scenario where, Hey man, can I grab you for a couple of minutes here? Talk about the game, whatever it was. That's where it just gets to be a little bit like you got to feel your way through that to make sure you're not putting a guy out or is he trying to get out of here and, you know, you want to make sure that you're being respectful of their space because when you're in the, the clubhouse or a locker room, you know, that's <laughs> their personal space. And so it, it can be kind of tricky to make sure uh, that you're able to to get your job done, but you're also respectful of of the guys that you're that you're relying upon to, you know, be able to have those working relationships and be able to talk with them and and, and get what you need for your stories and to cover the team well. Okay, that that makes that makes a lot of sense, just intuitively. Um, all right, so uh, for all of you listening, we are recording this on Friday afternoon. Uh, Brendan and I were set to record on Tuesday, however, and there was a bit of Cardinals news on Tuesday. Uh, many of your favorites, uh, Yadier Molina, was signed back with the Cardinals. So, so Brendan, let's talk a little bit about this Yadi deal. Um, one year, nine million. Were you kind of surprised that uh, that it was only coming in at one year? I know that was kind of not what he wanted to start with. Yeah, you know, I think if you would have asked me at the beginning of the offseason, I would have said he probably could have gotten that second year from somebody. But it just depends on the percentage, the degree to which he really was convinced he wanted to stay in St. Louis. Like both him and Wainwright have said, like, hey, other teams were offering. We were considering other offers. But when you know the number ends up being $9 million for Yachty for this season, I got to wondering, like, okay, was there a team out there that would have offered two and blank? Like, what number would have been enough for Yachty to say, okay, that's worth it? Like, would two and 14 have done it? Uh, 
seven a year? Or is he saying, I'm already taking a pay cut after making 20 million a year on my last contract, going down to nine, I can bet on myself. And then if I want to do another year, I can go it that way. So I was a little surprised that he didn't maybe have an opportunity to get two years from somebody, but I guess we don't know that for sure because it's possible that he turned it down because somebody offered him two years and a number that was so low, it wouldn't have made it worth it when you compare it to getting to stay home, getting to potentially finish your career with the Cardinals and making the $9 million that he'll have for 2021. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. For me personally, I was kind of surprised it wasn't at least an option. Like Even if it was a mutual option year that – that the Cardinals could say no or Yachty could say no. Uh, I was kind of surprised just to not see anything with the second year tacked on at all. Um, but getting at that with him choosing to be in St. Louis for one year, 9 million with other options on the table, um, it's been rumored. Um, now, I'm not going to say that these rumors are credible, but it has been rumored at least that Yachty and Wainwright may have pr- been part of the pressure of the front office to help go after Nolan Arenado or at least some other larger piece to give them more of a shot to be a winner in 2020 if, or 2021, sorry, if they chose to stay here. Um, it's also been rumored and reported, I believe at this point that they both had deals on the table from the Padres, at least as a secondary destination where they could have gone together. Um, any truth to any of that that you know of and can share? Well, I, I don't have any insight to whether they both had like a, a tandem deal from San Diego or anything like that. Uh, the Padres have been pretty much interested in everybody this offseason, so that wouldn't be a surprise to me to learn. Uh, but when it comes to pressuring the front office, look, I think the Cardinals from the beginning were interested in bringing back Yachty and bringing back Wayno. I think from the beginning, both these guys were interested in staying together, but also staying together with St. Louis. Like That was the clear preference for both players, and it took a while to play out. I would describe it as, and again, this isn't really an inside scoop, but this is just my read on the situation, knowing what I have been exposed to. I feel like it's a deal where the Cardinals as a team have probably known, and when you talk about Yachty and Wayno, they're the two of the most plugged-in Cardinals because they've been there the longest relationships with the front office, they probably had some inkling that Nolan Arenado was a target for these guys for years, you know, going back to 2018, then he signs a contract and it's like, okay, maybe not anymore, but then things aren't going so well in Denver. Like, I'm sure that was a topic of internal conversation, uh, not only within the front office, but the players as well. Somebody asked in the Yadier Molina Zoom if he had spoken to Arenado yet, and he said, spoken to him. I've been speaking to him for two or three years. So like, this is something that they were after. And given the fact that Yachty and Wayno both wanted to come back, I think it was icing on the cake. It certainly cemented that, oh, hey, this team is serious about trying to win. It's going to make it easier for us to come back into the fold and potentially end our career on a high note. I, I don't know that it was like an ultimatum where if you don't get Arenado, you know, we're going somewhere else. I think it was just kind of a natural progression where Cardinals didn't really make these offers to these guys, Bueno and Yachty, until late in the process, once it already looked like, okay, Arenado is happening. And then so all three sort of come together at once. And I think there's a reason for that. The Cardinals were operating with, you know, uncertain revenue stream for 2021. They're concerned about the budget. And so all those three deals kind of had to happen in concert a little bit. And so I think that's the reason that they all kind of came together at the same time because they figure out what the money's going to look like from the Rockies. They figure out what their payroll can be. 
They're working on this Dexter Fowler thing to save a buck there. So it kind of makes sense that all this comes together within the last couple of weeks. Uh, and the Cardinals are able to to get their guy and then they get their two guys back that they wanted all along. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, one more question involving uh, the catcher position, I guess. How many starts do you believe Andrew Kisner and or any backup catcher, maybe? Uh, I know they traded for... Uh, not Gary Sanchez from New York, but um, trading for Ali Sanchez of the Mets today, um, or Tyler Heineman, who was picked up uh, earlier this offseason. Um, so between the three of them, how many starts do you think not Yachty gets at catcher this year? Well, I think it's going to depend on his durability and his health. So it makes it a little bit of a cop-out answer. But it, if I had to guess, there's going to be an injured list stint at some point for Yachty at this stage in his career. Hopefully it's not a long one. Maybe it's two, three weeks. You know, that's kind of what we've seen over recent seasons for him. Just kind of tends to be something that that pops up. Um, The guy takes care of himself, though. He wants to be out there as as often as he possibly can be. So I'm going to say it ends up being in the neighborhood of like 110, 115 starts for Yachty, assuming they play a full 162, uh, because I'm going to bake in you know, maybe a, a 25 day of total injury stint for him. And then when he's healthy, he's probably starting, you know, five out of six, six out of seven, kind of like we've seen him do over the years. I don't think he's got any intention uh, of slowing down this season, even though they do have a guy in Andrew Kisner that they'd probably like to get a look at. I think, I think it is going to be Kisner. I don't think if there's two healthy catchers, Yachty and Kisner, that you see any of those other guys factor in at all. Um, other than if they expand rosters and you carry a third catcher. Uh, Kisner, this might be the year that he finally gets the bulk of those backup starts because they don't really have a, a, a guy of Matt Weider's caliber. You know, the guys that they're bringing in, non-roster guy and Heineman, and the guy they traded for today, you know, defensive defensive specialist. I don't think it's going to be any of those guys. I think Kisner will get kind of the the shot to finally say, look, he's – you know, 24, 25 years old, whatever he is by now, he's he's earned the chance to at least be the backup. Um, and, and if anything should happen to Yachty, he's going to probably have the job and run with it for the most part, I would think. I agree. I'm, I'm just getting more into my uh, tweaking my projections for this season. And I've got Yachty at about that 65, 70% of starts uh, as well. Um, I think the trade for Sanchez today worries me more than the Tyler Heineman signing, at least for Andrew Kisner's sake. Um, with Sanchez being a defense first guy, that reminds me a lot of a Tony Cruz or Matt Weeders that they could bring in. Obviously, Weeders had a lot higher pedigree. Um, but I guess with Sanchez being younger than Kisner, maybe not necessarily too too worried for him there yeah to be um, honest with you i just don't think he's a factor i don't want to dismiss him on the day that the team traded for him but i look <laughs> you need a lot of catchers to get through spring training and to get through a minor league season and so you know i figure he- heineman and the sanchez probably will end up at, at memphis both of them um and and kind of or, or one of them could be if there's a you know, something that happens to the spring training or pardon me, to the minor league season. And they have to go to a, a site where, you know, these, these guys are ready to come right up and, and like the alternate site they did last year, you might have one of those guys there. I don't, I think it's, you had an open spot on the 40 man. You had a guy that got DFA'd and you said, eh, we like this player, take a flyer on him. He costs nothing. So like, 
you remember over the years, a lot of times it seems like it happens with relief pitchers where middle of the year they'll pick somebody up and then two days later he might be gone. It's it's happened with catchers. I remember 2016, the name Michael McHenry. They had him for like three days. I passed by him one time and said, hey, what's going on? Never saw him again. So I I don't read too much into a a signing like this, especially when they – or a trade like this, I should say, especially when they have – they had and they still have room on the 40 man. I think they're only up to 39 right now. So I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on Sanchez even having anything to do uh, with Kisner. The reason I, I say that is because I saw tweets kind of to your effect as well today. And I said, ah, I don't really see it, but time will tell. All right. Um, so while you maybe did not get to go get to know Michael McHenry very well, uh, somebody that <laughs> has been around for quite a while in your tenure with the uh, with KMOV and with others in the St. Louis area has been uh, Dexter Fowler. Uh, what's your view on Fowler's time in St. Louis, uh, both on and off the field? And secondarily with that, do you think that they might try to do the same thing with Matt Carpenter in terms of a trade to save a bunch of money? Interesting question. So I'll start on Fowler first. You know, I I think his tenure as a Cardinal is going to be viewed by the by the public, by the St. Louis fan, by the average person that cares about the Cardinals to talk about Dexter Fowler. I think they're going to view his tenure as less good, less quality than it actually was. I think they're going to underrate it a little bit because it's really difficult to get 2018 out of your mind when talking about Dexter Fowler because he was, you know, statistically among the the worst two or three position players in Major League Baseball that year. There's no getting around it. He struggled, but he's since talked about, you know, the the things he was dealing with at that time. He was injured, had, you know, depression going on, just was was not in a great place that season and because of that happening kind of right smack dab in the middle of his time with the Cardinals, you forget that his first year was really, really good. Like he wasn't the kind of player the Cardinals thought they were getting. They thought they were going to have their leadoff man, but then, you know, Carpenter ends up still being the leadoff guy and Dexter Fowler evolves into kind of this number five lower in the order RBI producer. It ends up having, I want to say career high and runs batted in and home runs at that point in time in his career. So he kind of changed his game on the fly. He was productive and then 2018 happens. And so everybody says, you know, the contract is a bust, but he came back in 2019 and was productive right at a league average level, uh, which I think says a lot considering where he was in 2018. And then another full year after that, it was like, okay, coming to the 2020, there's no lingering injuries. There's nothing you know, for this guy to have to worry about, he's going to come in and maybe be able to turn back the clock even a little bit further. And honestly, he was starting to do that at the beginning of 2019, or pardon me, at the beginning of 2020, even despite all the COVID situation and, and the factors at play there that made it really difficult for a lot of Cardinals to have any success offensively. He was hitting pretty well, had an OPS around 780. But then, of course, he had to go on the injured list and basically leave the team, go home and do nothing for a couple of weeks because of that medication that he had to take for the stomach issue. And so I think the fact that they bring him back cold at the end of that and he tries to just jump right back in without being really into baseball shape, into the swing of things, he struggled for like the last 10 days of the season which when you only play 58 games, that's going to have a huge impact on your numbers. And so he goes from 780 OPS to 706, and it looks like another failure of a season. So I think regardless of what happened those last 10 days, do the Cardinals probably still feel the same and want to go in a younger direction with their outfield this year? That's very possible. And get Dexter a a place that he can play and, and, and compete for playing time with Los Angeles. 
certainly could have been the case. But I think because just that little last week and a half of his Cardinals career, because he really wasn't in baseball shape, it's kind of unfortunate, but that paints it in a little bit of a, a worse statistical category and makes it look like, oh, they had to get rid of this guy because he wasn't producing. When I don't really think that was the case, but that's just the nature of it. Yeah, and I agree with that. And uh, unfortunately, he the playoffs probably also left not as great a taste in people's mind as well with him. Uh, just he, he he couldn't perf- he still wasn't up to up to shape yet. Um, and then the 2019 playoffs were not great for any hitters, so I don't think we can really fault him there either. Um, and off the field, from everything I've heard, I never got to meet him, but Dexter just seemed like a very awesome dude. Oh yeah. Um, so I hope that I hope that people can kind of appreciate that and when they look back on his tenure as well. Uh the second part of that question is what do you think about Matt Carpenter? Do you think that's going to happen to him or do you think they're going to try to work him into starts at second base with Tommy Edmond or somewhere in between? Yeah, if they if they're going to find a way to move Matt Carpenter and actually save some money because with Fowler they really only save like 1.75 million and, right. and Carpenter's got a bigger contract, a bigger salary for this season. I would be surprised if they do that, if they're able to find somebody to take the deal. And because, I mean, he he struggled so hard last year. Fowler was still productive, like we talked about, for you know the bulk of the season until the end there. Carpenter struggled in 2019 and then again was, was far worse last year. And so I, I would be surprised if anybody is willing to really take a chance on him that isn't the St. Louis Cardinals. And when you factor in the the concept that, okay, Colton Wong is gone, we do think that Tommy Edmond can handle second base, but I'm sitting here looking at it. Okay, the DH would have been perfect for this team because it would have afforded Carpenter an opportunity uh, without having to worry about where he would slot in defensively. But now that's probably not going to be a thing. And so how do they divvy up playing time at second base or does Carpenter just go into a reserve bench kind of role? Um, it's going to be interesting to see at full strength, at full health, you really are going to have to have Tommy Edmond with what he can do defensively and the spark he could potentially bring offensively. You're going to have to have him in there somewhere. And they've got five other outfielders that they want to give opportunities to. So it's going to be kind of slim pickings for Carpenter unless he gets off to an early good start, which has never really been his forte. I don't know how he's going to come into playing time, but uh, you know, you need th- those kind of infielders. I wouldn't really, I'd hesitate to call him a utility infielder because of the fact that he's not really a, a guy you think of as defense first. But the fact of the matter is he has played first, he's played second, and he could play third. So they don't really have another guy that they've gone out and got like a Brad Miller that could kind of fit into those slots defensively. So even though I think he'd be a downgrade in the utility role if Tommy Edmond takes over at second, uh, defensively he'd be a downgrade. Offensively, the Cardinals still maybe hope he can regain some of that 2018 form, and so you never know. Maybe they'll they'll, they'll keep him around in that capacity because I just don't see anywhere you're going to send him. Uh, yeah, I, I agree, and that's coming from one of the biggest Matt Carpenter honks out there outside of his own family. Um, looking at the schedule, they don't play any road American League interleague game until end of May, so it's not like you're going to get him into a lot of DH games early on. Um, Goldschmidt and Arenado average about eight games off, maybe combined a year. Which sounds um, right. They shouldn't. They shouldn't sit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, between the what fifteen or twelve road games in the with DH this year and the 
eight games at first and third, that's not a lot of starts unless he's unless he's really just pounding the ball. Somewhere. Yeah, it's not. Um, and I, if I had to guess, I would say or like that first couple weeks of the season, you're going to see him at second base a few times, assuming health and assuming there's nowhere else, you know, somebody else doesn't get hurt in spring training, you'll see him. And if those go well, I think Mike Schilt will be happy to try to fit him in more. You know, he's shown that he doesn't mind putting Edmund in the outfield either, which could be bad news for some of those other young outfielders that are looking for a chance. But I wouldn't be surprised if it went that way, if Carpenter showed well early. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly what to think about that. Um, I think making room for the five outfielders that, that – uh, I, I would assume you mentioned, uh, well, without mentioning names, I would assume that's O'Neill, Bader, Carlson, Thomas, and Williams. Um, I know they also have Austin Dean, though, who uh, might get those four starts at first base that Goldschmidt doesn't make instead. But um, I think with that many outfielders and honestly the infield backup situation being much more tenuous than the outfield backup situation, I mean – Sosa's the sixth man, and they haven't seemed to show much confidence in him. And the seventh man at this point is either Max Moroff or Jose Rondon, who got cut by organizations much much worse off than the Cardinals. Um, and so uh, I am kind of unsure if, uh, if Edmonds should be out in the outfield. Well, and I can understand, you know, that people are saying, my goodness, the Cardinals have talked about trying to get these other younger outfielders. Like, let's see what they have in them. Totally understand that. But when I look at it, that might be, and this is not to say there's a disconnect between the front office and the field staff, but when you get going in a season, we've seen it happen before. If a guy's riding hot and you got to find somewhere to put him, you know, Tommy Edmonds, the kind of guy that Mike Schilt is not going to hesitate to try to find a spot for if it looks like his performance is demanding a spot. And if Lane Thomas or Tyler O'Neill gets two starts and goes 0 for 8, it, it suddenly becomes a lot easier to say, all right, we can't worry about development within a season. Carpenter's hitting, Edmund's hitting, boom, there's your answer. And those two are both in the lineup for the next week. So I, I'm not saying like that's the game plan coming into the season, but so often we talk about these game plans and then they change so quickly that that's just, I'm trying to think ahead to like, okay, what could happen could I see this happening? And that's an example where I'm like, yeah, I agree with everything you're saying about the backup infielders. Like guys like Sosa, I don't know if they're even going to make the roster. It depends on how many, you know, do they get 26? Do they up it to 28? I don't know if that's been finalized. And if it has, I just haven't paid enough attention yet. But that's kind of, you know, where where guys like him are like, and eh, they could use the extra middle infielder. But, you know, knowing that Edmund could play shortstop if he had to, he could like, you, they could shuffle things around and not have to have that guy. But yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from. It's going to be interesting to see. And maybe spring training will kind of help play that out a little bit based on how guys are performing too. Yes, definitely. Uh, I apologize uh, about my dog there. The big bad garbage truck rolled by. Um, so I had to go on mute for a second there. Um, okay. Speaking of other players that you have had relationships with, like, um, like Dexter Fowler, uh, like many others that, that you've grown to know a little better. You said uh, you've discussed privately, privately with me that Colton Wong was one of the better interviews and relationships you've had. Uh, you've mentioned Dakota Hudson, who, good news, he might have more time to talk to you this year because of bad news, him recovering from an injury and not pitching this year. You've mentioned Paul DeYoung. Um, why were these three guys and any others so fun or great to interview and what makes a great interview in your mind? Well, those three guys that I mentioned, what I like talking about, you know, when I'm talking about them is I feel like with each guy, you're, 
and that's not to say that others are, are being phony or fake with you, but you feel like there's when those are guys that you ask a question, they're listening to it, they're not canning their answer, and then they're they're just coming back with with what their genuine thoughts are. Colton Wong is a guy that certainly from that perspective uh, will be missed in St. Louis just because he was real all the time that you talk with him, and you know sometimes that that would turn into having the emotion really come out from him, but it always felt like it was genuine emotion. It wasn't like it was something where he was worried that he couldn't say this or that because, you know, you're going to paint him in a wrong light. And then sometimes you'd have those conversations with guys too, where you say, well, you said this and I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't like the way that was expressed. And that happened with him. It's happened with other guys. I'm not just talking about with me, but just in general in St. Louis, you know, media, you, you have things like that happen, but you end up, you know, growing in the relationship player to reporter and they kind of get to know you you get to know them and I think over time that just becomes a, a much stronger uh, situation where a guy's comfortable being able to talk with you and I feel like just with those three guys that I mentioned uh, you're just getting their, their genuine thoughts without really uh, a lot of pretense so I like that about them awesome good information there uh, speaking of interviews how much of what you do discuss with players, uh, percent or describe it however you'd like, is stuff that you could put into podcasts and into print? And how much of the stuff that uh, you guys talk about ends up being off the record? Well, I mean, uh, typically if I'm in, a, and I got to think back to all these pre-COVID times, right? All, like a year ago. But like in spring training, when you're, you're kind of hanging out in the clubhouse a little bit, and if you've got a guy that you want to talk to, you might let him know, hey, man, I'd love to grab you for a couple of minutes and he said, Oh, I'm going to shower first or I'm going to eat first. Okay, whatever. I'll be around um, just before you head out. And so in that situation, if, if you, if you tell a guy like, Hey, I would love to talk to you because I got a few questions, you're just going to, you're going to turn the recorder on and that, you know, it's going to, it's going to pretty much flow and anything that is being said there, it's kind of an understanding that like, all right, I, I this could be quoted in an article or, you know, whatever the case might be. Uh, but then there's other times where you're just hanging around and, the way that you get to players is by waiting around. There's a lot There's a lot of waiting around, and sometimes there's going to be guys that are around that you don't necessarily have to talk to for a story that day, but you're just going to converse with them just like you would about anything else. And so that kind of stuff is not anything that you're necessarily going to need to share or anything like that, but uh, it's just another way that you're also going to develop uh, some sort of personal connection with guys beyond just, you know, what would you think of that at bat in the second inning today? So that's kind of the way it it breaks down the way I see it anyway. Okay. Um, so when you are just kind of hanging out doing the chill, talk to people, uh, not necessarily for a story thing. Um, when they say something that is interesting that you want to use, you just kind of, this is just personal curiosity. Do you, do you say, Hey, can I use that type of thing? No, I mean, honestly, it's more of a, of a feel thing. And I, I, that might not be the best, most insightful answer, but kind of like when you know, you know, but like if you're having, you know, there, and look, I think that's just kind of an interpersonal relationship kind of thing. That could be the the case whether you're interviewing baseball players or you're just talking to 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 a friend, and you say, "Oh, okay, this thing this friend told me isn't something I'm going to turn around and tell my other friend." You know, so like yeah. it's just kind of it's just kind of a interpersonal relationship. You just kind of have to know where where that line is. You don't want to do something where you say, oh, this guy, we were just having a conversation. And then I, I went and, you know, shared that and that's going to make somebody upset. You don't ever want to put a player into that position because you lose trust with them that way. And so it's just kind of a, a deal where you have to be able to find those, those lines and just kind of recognize the, the, the environment that you're in. 
Yeah, so treat it treat it like you do with most of your other colleagues, I'm, I'm sure. Um, all right, so turning back towards more Cardinals organization-y type stuff rather than individual players, I'd love to get any insight you have about the way the Cardinals evaluate players or the way they use tech to develop players, uh, maybe how the pitching lab is coming along in Florida. I don't know how many, uh, with, with having to go to Zoom for so much, how much you've talked to Zalak or DeWitt or anybody up high about stuff like that. Uh, have they had to make cuts to quantitative and quantitative analysts that they hired pre-pandemic? Um, just those big picture type questions of, I know what Mosaic has talked about things moving towards uh, prior to the pandemic hitting. Do you have any updates on any of that? Yeah, there hasn't been a lot of conversation about those things. Um, you know, the, as far as the pitching lab, uh, I don't know the answer to that, but hopefully that's something that seems to be discussed every time we go down to spring training. But I, like we know that there have been cuts and they've had furloughs and things like that. And they've had to kind of reshape and reorganize. I recall during one of the zooms uh, during 2020, Mosaic kind of said like, basically what we have to do is do more with less resources. And it's, it's not a great, you know, situation for baseball, for anybody, you know, the pandemic has been tough. And so I, I'm sure that's had an impact on, what they've been able to do from, you know, an analysis standpoint, because they just have fewer people trying to do more work. And so it, it definitely makes it tough as of uh, the way things are going right now. Okay. Um, have you gotten a chance to talk to Jeff Albert in particular or other hitting coaches about how they use tech with the hitters uh, or maybe how they evaluate players in terms of either production or development? Now there really hasn't been any Jeff Albert in the last year. I think we we had a couple group settings with him back in spring training, but I have not ever personally done a one-on-one -on -one with him. Okay, thank you for answering that at least. Um, okay, so I would be remiss not to mention this: people that have followed Brendan on Twitter, and if you aren't, you should because he is a very fun person to interact with, which is how I got him to come on here. Um, the Twitter polls. How did that get started? <laughs> That's a great question because I'd have to I'd have to like really dig back and do some uh, research to see like what the first Twitter poll I ever posted was. I'm sure it wasn't like a Cardinals trade. It was probably something stupid. Well, I guess that would be something stupid, <laughs> but especially when when I'm the one making the poll. But it's been it's had to have been years by now. Um, but uh, the trade polls and like the 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 different polls I do. I don't know, man. It just was something that back when like Periscope first started being a thing and I was like, I'm going to do this Periscope and I would just like go talk for 20 minutes, even if there were like seven people listening, whatever. Like I was doing that for a while and I was just kind of exploring what Twitter had to offer. And so when I saw the polls function, like for the first time, there was never a doubt. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be using this. Like, that's fun. Okay. And so there was really nothing that was like, an intentional thing. It just was like, Oh, this is a thing that I can do now. I'm going to do it. And so they can, they can range from totally stupid or they can, they can be, you know, trying to legitimately spark up some conversation when it comes to past, you know, trade possibilities. Like you hear rumors or reports that the Cardinals are after X, Y, or Z, or even when there's not any reports, but people are, talking like me and wouldn't it be great and i was like yeah wouldn't it be great i wonder what that would look like and so you, you throw out a poll and just kind of have fun with it 
All right, so I'm going to hit you with a series of Twitter polls uh, verbally. Uh, I know usually on Twitter you can set it to like a day or an hour to answer or whatever. You have five seconds per question. Are you ready? Okay, let's do it. Over and under Cardinals wins in 2021. Start with 81. Okay, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be taken over for a few times if we're climbing the ladder here because this is what yeah. I love to do. This is what I love to do before the season, and I gotta pick the right date to start it so it can end like right around when the season starts. Uh, but then I have to anticipate like how many days in a row are people gonna take over? Because once right. they don't, I have to stop. <laughs> now, have you ever considered starting with like eighty one and a half or whatever, but then jumping to ninety five and a half? Oh no! I I I want to I want to see what the I want to see what the graph looks like, and and make people on a daily basis. I want to make them do that decision. Like, okay, yesterday I said over on eighty two point five, but do I really think they're going to be another win above that? And seriously, it's hilarious that whenever I do this, and it's like been three years in a row. Now, last year doesn't really quite count because. Um, and I'll have to go back and look if what the numbers said, but a lot different story when you go into a 60-game season. But the previous two years, I want to say Cardinals Twitter was within like one win. One year they nailed it, and the other time they were off by one on what the actual answer was. So they're closer than Vegas. Awesome. Well, let, let's see if you are. So 81 and a half. I'll take over. 82 and a half. I'll go over. 83 and a half. I'll still hit it. Hit me. 84 and a half. Hit me. 85 and a half. Hit me. 86 and a half. Hit me again. 87 and a half. All right, hit me one more time. Now I got to think for a second. All right, 88 and a half wins. All right, because on my podcast recently, I said 88 was my number. I It's subject to change, um, but I'm not going to change it yet. So I'll say under on 88.5. I'm good. Right now I'm at 88, and I'm, I'm thinking that'll be good enough for the Central, but I, I want to see how spring training plays out a little bit. Got some questions about this young outfield. Want to see how they perform. I uh, want to see what they do with the rotation, how healthy they stay as far as starting pitchers are concerned, because that is always a thing I harp on in spring training. Right now, though, I think they've got I think they've got 88, and there's definitely room to grow there. But I've got to get a few questions answered first. Awesome. Then that actually jives pretty well with my thinking. I'm thinking, I think 88 to 92 will be my my range. That I'm if I had to guess, it'll be higher by the time I do my like official prediction the day before the season. Uh, but that's because I'm optimistic that they won't get totally killed by injuries. Like there will be a starter that goes down at least one in spring. It, it will absolutely happen. Uh, but ideally you keep, you keep your guys like Goldie healthy. You keep Arenado healthy. Uh, you know, some of these outfielders are bound to emerge if they're given the opportunities. So I think they can have what it takes to, to be the favorites in the central and, and because of how strong the other two divisions are, I mean, my goodness, there's some teams in there uh, that are not going to potentially make the playoffs if it's not expanded this year. And they're, they're going to be probably better than most of the teams in the Central. So it's going to be favorable that you play in the Central, but you still eventually do have to play those other teams. So the record is still a little bit of a quandary for me right now. But 88, that's what I'm sticking with until, you know, I change it. <laughs> Fair enough. Until until you change it. All right. I have six quick hitters, and then we will end with one uh, hopefully fun question here. Uh, first quick hitter, uh, Flaherty. Is he going to get three million or three point nine if it goes all the way through our arbitration? Oh, that's great. Ah, gosh darn. I don't know how much they're going to put stock into this dumb twenty twenty season because when you look at his ERA, it was like four point nine. But take out one start, and it was like 3.2. He's Jack Flaherty. He should make 3.9. That is going to be fascinating to see. I'm going to say, goodness, 
Ah, man, that's really tough. I'm going to say he wins it, though. I don't know. I don't have a lot of basis for that, but I'm going to say, though, if it goes the distance, they're going to side with Flaherty. Ooh, I don't even feel comfortable saying that, but I think that's what I'm going with. I'm sticking with the answer. If I'm making you say it, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and answer him too. I, I absolutely agree. I think 3.9 is where it's going to end up. Um, spring training starting on time. Yeah, it looks like we're a full go. I mean, they're they're releasing this. They released the schedule today. Uh, the updated schedule. Everything appears to be happening. Fingers crossed, man. Okay. Gut feeling. Uh, NL DH in 2021. Yes or no. I'm going to say no. I think, I, and I don't know that this is finalized, but I think maybe it kind of is just not something that they're going to pursue anymore because the players didn't want it to be tied into the expanded postseason. And NLB finally released that deal saying, all right, we're not really negotiating about it anymore. This is what it's going to be. And they settled health and safety. So I think it's probably not going to be there. I'm surprised yeah. that I'm saying that because as of like a three, four weeks ago, I was saying, yeah, they'll figure it out. But I don't think they're going to as of now. I think even Tuesday when we were, when we were attempting to record this i was gonna go with yes but now i'm now i'm i'm firmly on the no um okay so next question then you mentioned both the outfield and the starting pitching in that discussion over how many wins we will have those are the last two quick hitters first or sorry two of the last three quick hitters the last two quick hitters about the cardinals um so first one more likely for the cardinals three choices here sign james paxton sign Jake Odorizzi or go into spring training with what we have as far as pitching is concerned? If I would say if it's signed Paxton, sign Odorizzi or, or not, I would say it's going to lean toward not. I bet they'll sign somebody else, but it's going to be on like a non-roster kind of thing. Um, I think Odorizzi would be a great fit. I think Paxton would be a great fit. I don't think they're going to spend quite what it's going to take because and we talked about this with regard to Flaherty, how much are they going to look into 2020 when determining his salary? Well, Odorizzi, I think, based on what he's asking for, is thinking not that much because he still wants multiple years and to be paid uh, kind of close to what he would have been worth uh, based on his previous body of work. And so I don't think he's going to quite be in the Cardinals range. And same thing for Paxton, even coming off like an injury. I think that those guys are going to end up getting more than the Cardinals are going to be willing to pay. Okay. And last Cardinal one, this one kind of breaks down into multiple questions. Your guess on how many starts each outfielder gets. So keep in mind, there's three places for them to start left center and right 162 starts in each spot. So we're looking at 486 possible starts here. Uh, we can go by percentage of games. If that's easier in your brain to figure out. Um, yeah. Oh boy. That's Harrison, tough. Harrison Bader. How many starts do you think he's getting? All right, I might have to I might have to switch it up on you in the way I think about this and because I want to go from most to least because I think I think the guy that I'll be comfortable pegging for the most starts is Dylan Carlson because I think they can they can put him in any spot. He can play center field when Bader doesn't and if Bader doesn't hit that's going to be more license to give Carlson run in center field. And so I'm trying to think about this in terms of like how many days a week could I see a guy sitting for me? I feel like five out of seven or so for Carlson could be possible. So I'm going to go, ah, man, um, I'm going to think of it in, in like a, like a close, maybe he could get to 80%. Like once Carlson hits his stride, I don't think there's going to be much sitting him. So like 85% maybe. Like right. I could see him having some get some times where he does sit 
to where it's like one and a half times every two weeks he sits. But because you can put him anywhere and because he's the guy that they really would love to see become a middle-of-the-order bat, I'm going to say, and this is all going to be assuming health. I'm not going to try to, to guess there who gets hurt because somebody probably will, and that'll change this. But uh, So Carlson, for me, ends up being tops. Um, number two, I'm probably going to lean Bader, which is tricky. Like it's tricky, but I, I'm going to lean Bader because I think the performance is going to dictate it. Look, last year he went 779 as an OPS. I know he beefed it up at the end of the year with one great game, uh, but that's kind of the way he rides. Like he 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 gets hot and then he goes cold. Cardinals are going to either live with it or they're going to not live with it. And I think given what he can do defensively, given that hopefully he's going to continue to evolve as a player, I think they're going to choose to live with it more than they don't. And the percentage thing may not end up working for this. I guess I could do this where I like literally plug it in based on 486. But Bader's going to be number two for me, but it's going to be a, a lesser percentage. I'm going to go like 65%. So two out of every three, so I so can see. 150%. That's half the starts right there between Bader and Carlson. So you've got half the starts to divvy up between O'Neill, Thomas, Williams, and potentially Austin Dean. Okay. Yeah, I guess that would be kind of right if I'm looking at 120. I don't know. I don't know if I even agree with the math you just did, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to take your word for it. Uh, I'm going to take I next math. I'm going to take that. That Hey, well, who am I to question? I'm going to say O'Neal. Probably O'Neal could edge out Lane Thomas, uh, but, I, but, it, but it's going to be a lot closer between the two of those. So if I give Austin Dean all of five starts, um, now trying to work backwards to figure out the percentage for O'Neill and Thomas Williams. I could give closer to that in the range of like 25 to 30 starts. And then the rest will get divvied up relatively evenly between O'Neill and Thomas, but I'm going to give the edge to O'Neill uh, because even though I think the organization loves Lane Thomas and they'd like to see him do well, I think it's a deal where if he does start out cold again, that's an easy way for Mike Schilt to say, okay, we've, we, you know, because, and I don't think Mike Schilt thinks this way, but Blaine Thomas did look really bad last year. I think a lot of it had to do with COVID and the impact it had on him after the fact, but he just didn't look like himself. But if he comes out and, and isn't performing, he might be an easy one to say, okay, we're going to, we're not going to question O'Neill as much. We're going to give some of that time to to Justin Williams. So I'll let the math teacher do the percentages of whatever is remaining, but I'm going to say O'Neill is going to be 5% higher than whatever you give to Thomas. All right. So Carlson, then Bader, then O'Neill, then Thomas, then Williams, then Dean. I think so. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going to go with. And look, they'll give Justin Williams a chance, but I think he's just behind in the pecking order right now. It would take an offensive explosion from him, whether in spring or once somebody gets hurt, he takes a job and runs with it, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I love Austin um, Dean. I just don't think he's going to – I just don't know how much time he's going to really get in this group. Right, yeah. And I can totally see that, especially with the emphasis being placed on defense uh, right now. Um, I could – actually see if if the DH were somehow thrown at us all of a sudden. I could see Carpenter getting the bulk of the starts against righties, but not but maybe giving Dean every start against lefties. Uh, that just kind of popped in my head. Yeah, right. I think the DH would have been a great thing for this team. I, I really do. I know that as, a, as an NL fan, as growing up around NL baseball, I don't love the idea, but it's coming regardless. And for the Cardinals' sake, I think it'd be a great thing to have it this year, but it doesn't look like it will. Right, right. Okay, last quick hitter, Mizzou basketball. Um, 
since you went to Mizzou and you tweet about it. Um, where will they? Where are they going to be ranked at the end of the year? Oh goodness! Well, they just got clobbered by Ole Miss. I didn't watch a moment of that game because I had stuff going on, which I'm glad for. Um, they'll be. I, I hope they'll still be ranked. Um, don't go on a tailspin here. I'm going to say they'll be like in the 20s to 25 range, and hopefully that's good enough to get them like a number six seed in the tournament. I'm not aiming. I'm not aiming quite as high after the loss to Ole Miss, but that's kind of what they do, right? They get into the top 10, we're all feeling good, and then lay an egg. So it is what it is, man. I'm so used to the Mizzou thing. Like I am <laughs> I am so used to it. I just know what's coming next. All right, so you've got them seated six. Uh, do they make it? Uh, and I'm kind of going to do the over-under like I did with the Cardinals here. Do they make it out of the first weekend? Well, what we typically consider the first weekend. Gosh darn it. Like inevitably the answer is no, but I'm going to say yes because I want to be – optimistic i'm a terrible pessimist when it comes to mizzou like i've told people i I cover the cardinals you won't you won't catch me you know having my day ruined because of a cardinals loss it's just not my perspective anymore but when it comes to mizzou absolutely my wife will be like get over it and i'm like i can't (laughs) i just don't know how all right do they get out of the second weekend no no i'll say sweet 16 i'll say they make the sweet 16 Fair enough. All right. Last question for you today. Thank you so much for joining me again. Um, Let's end with this. Do you have a favorite memory at the ballpark as a reporter? As a reporter, one of my favorite things that still sticks with me is when Goldschmidt, it had to have been the year Goldschmidt got here, or is he coming into his, he was, yeah. Yeah, it had to have been because this past year we didn't have it. So it had to be 2019 when Milwaukee is where they opened up and there was a workout day um, before the season. And I just remember because I watching Gold, Goldsmith from afar, you're like, oh, this guy really seems like he's you know just a superstar player. Going to be interesting to just kind of watch him and see what he does. And watching this workout at, at Miller Park, we were just kind of standing there on the field in the dugout and guy walks over. You know, I think I was there with uh, Jeff Jones and Benjamin Hoffman and walks over and just kind of was chatting for like 15 minutes. It was like a, a ridiculously long time, just not, not even about baseball either, just like about whatever was going on. And, and then, you know, just it was just like the most bizarre thing. And that was like what I always remember is my introduction to Paul Goldschmidt. And so that's like a cool thing that maybe off the beat a little bit that wasn't as far as a game um, is concerned. But another one, talking about like a moment that I was there for and covered, uh, the the Ms. Diaz home run, the grand slam after the death of of his friend uh, Jose Fernandez, that was really special. Being able to be there and, and see in, in the clubhouse him react after that game, that's something I'll never forget. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you ended my uh, conversation Saruti, with Saruti here with me getting chills just remembering that moment. So I appreciate that. Um, once again, everybody follow, uh, Brendan Schaefer at KMOV, follow him on Twitter at bschaefer12, follow his podcast at bschaefer daily. Um, everybody, thank you for joining us today and have a wonderful day till next time. See you later.